0: This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is Mbolo Mbue. I'll let you correct my pronunciation. (laughs)
1: Uh, She's the author of a new book. It's a good pronunciation.
0: Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. Um, She's the author of the new book, How Beautiful We Were, from Penguin Random House. And her previous debut novel was Behold the Dreamers, which won the Penn Faulkner Award and was an Oprah Book Club selection. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from Syndetics Unbound, and from listeners just like you, find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com support. This episode is brought to you by Syndetics Unbound by ProQuest and LibraryThing. Syndetics Unbound helps public and academic libraries enrich their catalogs and discovery systems with high-interest elements, including cover images, summaries, author profiles, similar books, reviews, and much more. Syndetics Unbound encourages serendipitous discovery and higher collection usage, and was awarded Platinum Distinction in the Library Works 2021 Modern Library Awards. To learn more about Syndetics Unbound, visit syndetics.com. While there, be sure to visit the Syndetics Unbound blog for news and analysis, including a breakdown of libraries' top titles and other stories of interest to the library community. Again, that's syndetics.com, S-Y-N-D-E-T-I-C-S.com. To learn more about today's sponsor, Syndetics Unbound. Bolo, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Steve.
0: Um, Since this is a library podcast, um, I did want to start with a story that I had heard um, you tell a couple times Mm -hmm. of how you became a writer in the first place that has a library connection.
1: Yes, I do have a library connection as far as how my... Writing life began um, so many years ago, and specifically 2002, I, um, I walked into a public library in Falls Church, Virginia, and I noticed that there were, is, there was a stack of books on the, on the corner, uh, and there were Oprah book club picks, at that time I'd only been in America for a couple of years, so I wasn't very familiar with, um, with the Oprah book club, I knew who Oprah was, but I never get any of the book club picks, so I decided to try one of them. And the first one that I caught was Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. And I had heard about Toni Morrison winning the Nobel Prize a few years before, so I decided to try her book. And also because Song of Solomon is, is also the name of a book in the Bible. And I and I knew that biblical book, so I thought there was a connection. So I decided to read that book. And I um, I took the book home and read it. And the moment I finished reading it, I just started writing. And really, I just, started writing and, and actually this the, this the story i started writing is the one that is coming out now um about 19 years from the day i started writing um writing, did.
0: yeah so, so you wrote the new book before you <laughs> wrote. i <the> did <laughs> <novel> <laughs> yes
1: i went a little bit backwards i started i started the new one put it aside and then wrote my debut novel and then went back to the new one
0: okay um do you know what it was in tony morrison's work that kind of spoke to you of what like what, what what attracted it to you and made and made you go oh I've got it right now
1: <laughs> it was very new I mean I'm, I've I've always been a reader I read even as a child growing up in in a in small African town but I um I had never read anything quite like Song of Solomon and I think that is what really fascinated me As in, how did she do this you know well what is involved in writing a book of this of this magnitude I um I didn't have any writing background. I never taken any writing class. I would taken English 101 in college. That was the most I had as far as writing experience. But there was something about that book. And and I am only, I'm not the only writer who, at least a black writer who says that. There are lots of black writers who said there was something about that book that just made them want to start writing. Um, so yeah, it just, it, 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 I was in awe of, of, of it. I was in awe of, of um her level of talent and how sophisticated the book was. And so instead of writing, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to write like Toni Morrison. I knew I wasn't going to um, try to do anything like her. I I just wanted to experience for myself how it felt to write.
0: And did you end up reading some more of her work as well after that?
1: I did, yes, I did. And that also put me to new writers. At that point, I never heard of Gabriel Garcia Marquez either. And that is after I read her that I discovered the writer. Uh, and it actually opened me up to American writers in general. At that point in my life, I was mostly reading African writers because this what I was most familiar with. Um, it was only after Tony Morrison that I started reading, you know, Jonathan you know, Jono you know, Díaz or Barbara Kinsova. Um, But before that, I really was not very familiar with the American literary world.
0: Um, and then um, it, it's interesting that you got into writing because of a display about the oprah's book club and then later on you became an oprah book club <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right
0: um can you talk about um how that happened like h- how did you react when you found out and um how did you find out
1: well i should say that when oprah called me she didn't know the story about uh, about sorry <laughs> her book me me picking and uh, discovering you know into her book club she didn't know that story so one day i i well i was told by somebody in her um Somebody at, at her magazine that somebody at the magazine was going to call me in person to ask me something. So nobody told me it was going to be Oprah. And then one day I'm, I'm sitting there waiting for the phone call, and I get a phone call, and the phone rings, and I pick it up, and she said, Hi, Imbola is Oprah. And I said, Wow, she really does sound like Oprah. <laughs> uh, and that was, um, and so I told her the story. And she was really surprised because she, she was amazed that you know, her book club had introduced me to Tony Morrison, who introduced me to the fascination with writing, and, and then I wrote a book and she picked it. Um, but it was it was a wonderful experience. She's most gracious. I I went to California and I um I I, I videotaped an interview with her, and she invited me over to her house to have cocktails, and she was very generous and full of nothing but advice and and you know, and just Positivity.
0: Yeah, it's it's good it's good to know sometimes that these celebrity people are as good as they seem. (laughs) Sometimes. Oh
1: yeah, she 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 was she is good as she seems. I mean, she didn't need to invite me over to have you know drinks with her and and tell me things that um, a a a young writer you know needs to know about the world and about you know life things that only Oprah would know because Oprah has seen has has had a share of experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, So. It was extremely generous, extremely kind. I um, she, we had dinner together, and it was it was a really lovely experience. I you, I, I wasn't sitting there going, oh my god, it's Oprah. I was thinking, <laughs> wow, what a lovely person I met today who gets to share with me their life experiences and and gets to teach me things that I really hadn't thought about.
0: That's great. That's great. That's very good. How she can make you feel at ease like that and just yes. So you got started with a display in the library. Did do you go to the library a lot, or did you go to the library a lot back then? Oh
1: yes, I am. I am a proud library person. I every every time I move, the first thing I do is get a library card. (laughs) I am one of those people. I'm living somewhere right now that I don't have a library card on it because when I came here, the library was closed because of the pandemic. Um, But yes, this my my forthcoming book involved a good amount of research. Um, I over the years I have read lots and lots of books that I um, that that influenced this book and a lot of those books are books that I got from libraries. I when I first moved to New York City, I was going to I was going to Columbia for my masters. I didn't have a lot of money, but I live across from the library in Harlem, and I spent a great deal of time there. It's from that library that I read. Um, the, the memoirs and autobiographies of Malcolm X and Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. and Mandela all of those books influenced my 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 novel that is coming out now so I mean I, I, I can't speak highly enough of the foundation that library laid down for me and my writing. That's
0: great. Um, so um, in addition to you, you you write really complex characters where there's no you know there's no black and white there's nobody that's going <laughs> to bad they all kind Thank of have you. shades of gray there um, and they all um, we, we share with their struggle and figure out how they're going to get through that but okay. you also tackle really important topics so like you had the economic collapse of 2008 and immigration in um, behold the dreamers and then in the new book you're talking about the environment and colonialism the un- unchecked power of corporations basically <laughs> right. um, what what draws you to sort of set your stories with these um, big topics in the background
1: well I must confess that I really now that I put it that way I'm thinking wow, my books do (laughs) touch on those (laughs) topics no I, I I never think about the topics I think about the characters I think about what is the story I like to tell with Behold the Dreamers I was walking down the street and I saw chauffeurs and I imagined Um, that the chauffeurs worked for executives. And I asked myself, what is it like to be a chauffeur? What is it like to be a chauffeur and an immigrant and believing in the American dream and watching the recession happen and and affecting that dream? What is it like to be a Street executive? So that was where I came from. With this book also, um, my new book, How Beautiful We Were, I was thinking about what it's like to to fight against... um, powers that are much bigger than you. Than you. Um, as a child, I was very fascinated by revolutionaries and dissidents and activists and protesters. Anybody that gets out and says, I am going to overthrow this system, I was in awe of them as a child. So I, I wasn't, and they don't have, those people don't have to be tied to the environment or to colonialism or to corporate greed. I mean, they they they, they go across the spectrum in life, but I am, um, I, I come from a place of, of, of curiosity. Um, that is where my writing starts. I, I am curious about humans. I'm curious about their dreams and their wants and their shortcomings and their failures and, and, and relationships, marriages, friendships, relationship between husband and uh, children and their parents and brothers and sisters. So that is more what, fascinates me, and then I have to put them, and, and usually I put them in a socioeconomic environment and and watch what the socioeconomic environment does to them. So that is what it is. I mean, as a, as a person, I am very curious about about the way the world works. I'm curious about sociopolitical issues and issues of globalization and the environment and, and climate change and, and democracy. I'm interested. So. If I put the characters there, because I am curious about those issues and also have a lot of questions, but it's not so much that I want to write about the environment, it's about what happens when you put human beings in an environment that has been so polluted they can barely live in it. And what do they do about that? How, what, what, in what ways can humans who do not have a lot of power, at least on the surface, try to fight a, a very, very powerful multinational?
0: Yeah and that, and that that's obviously the what the, the, what your newest book is about um this oil company comes in and they basically catastrophically disrupts this um small village in Africa um in your first book you set it um in uh, America 2008 ish time period so everything was in in, in, a, in a in a real place um in this mm-hmm. um new one you decided to set it in a fictional um village what what made you want to make up your own village and um what was it like to create the history and folklore of this new place
1: Mm. yeah so i um i i i was writing a story that i had been inspired to write based on people and events that happen across the world so i couldn't exactly put it in one particular location because the, the 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 people and the events and the the different dynamics, they were all too much for one real place. So for example, you mentioned the history of the place. The history of the place is is based on a lot of different histories in different places. So that that particular history doesn't fit into any particular country that I I know of. Um, I made up the culture of the village. So there's a lot about the village that there's there's, there's, there's a scene where the characters, the whole bundle made of umbilical cords because um, Whenever a child is born, they they take the umbilical cord and put it in a bundle and they have the whole family now gets to have this umbilical cord and that is a way for them to stay connected to the ancestors and also for them to to pass it on to the next generation. Now, I I don't know any culture that has that but it made sense to me so I created it. Um, There's also a, a coming of age ceremony for young men where young men before they move from being boys to men, they have to prove that they are ready to become men. And that, that is also um, a rite of passage that I made up. I have a fascination with anthropology. If I, I, I wish I had studied anthropology in college because I, I am very curious about cultures and what goes behind um, the, the making of cultures. So that, that was all very, very fictional. And, and, and even the president of the country, in which is villages, um, it's very fiction it's, it's, it's a composite of many different African dictators uh, so there just wasn't any way to put it in any real country in the story needed a whole new place to be created for all of those different elements to fit in
0: and you you, you start the book with kind of a, a little exciting incident <laughs> where um, the yeah. um, <laughs> sort of madman kind of um, Steals the key, the car keys of the <laughs> um, executives who are trying to leave and go back to the city. And um, that sort of uh, makes everybody realize, well, wait a minute, we can fight back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is just one little small way, but it's kind of an inspiration and gets the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there's a family you kind of follow mostly. It mostly goes through Tula. Um, is that how you pronounce That's it? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's kind of the center of the book, but you also. Um, view the action through a lot of different characters. Um, mm-hmm. What made you want to kind of jump around different different viewpoints? How did you come to want to structure the book like that?
1: Yeah, well, like you mentioned Tula, and she is at the center of the story. So Tula is a, is a young girl who was born into this village in which there has been oil exploration going on for many years. And by the time Tula is born, there has been a great deal of, um, of pollution going on. So the rivers are covered with toxic waste. Um, the pipelines are spilling all the time. The air is dirty from gas flares. And when the story starts, the children in the village are dying because it's just a lot of pollution and contamin- contamination for little children to live in. And so when the story starts, there's just a great sense of despair. The, the, Tula and her age mates, who were born in the same year, they, they they don't understand what is happening. And then there's a village meeting where the oil company says, "Okay, let's talk about this. We're going to solve these problems for you guys. Let's you know just be patient." And everybody's frustrated, but what can they do? What how can one little village fight against an oil company? And then a madman appears and say, "I have an idea." So that that. Sets the stage for what happens for the next 40 years, you know, when the the villagers decide to kidnap the oil company men. Um, But it it, it wasn't just a story about Tula and her age mates, it's also the story of the community, um, because this is one whole community and they. They go through so much together as a community. It is also a story of a family because Tula's family is very involved in this struggle against this whole company. So her father, her uncle, and before that, her grandfather. And then and then there's her, her age mates also who ultimately become a huge part of the story. So I, it, it wasn't, um, it, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have covered the whole story that, to the extent in which I was trying to cover it, if I just had Tula and not tell the story, it was important that other members of the family and the community talk about this struggle because it was a struggle that the whole community went to went, went, went through together as one.
0: Yeah, and, and in, that, in that opening part, you, you, the viewpoint is always we do this and we do that. So it's sort of the community as a whole. That's kind
1: of right, the right. That and the, and the, the we is Tula and her age her, her mates were all born together and they, they were born in the same year and they go through this they grew up together in this village and they fight the oil company together and they see the repercussions of fighting the oil company together. So it was, it, while there are parts of the story that we have other peoples, you know, talking in the first person voice, it was important to me that, that the story is, um, the, the focus remains on the struggle and the struggle was the whole village against this oil company. It wasn't just Tula struggle alone.
0: Um, I also kind of noticed that you you come back to education a lot in your book so that's a, that's an important thing to people like in um, the first book um nenny is attending school for, for pharmaceutical mm-hmm. school and then even Vince kind of drops out of school to make his life <laughs> better so um, um and I then mean, in,
1: bad, but that's a good point he does drop out of school
0: <laughs> and then the um or I guess he does decides not not to not to go <laughs> to <That's right. laughs> um, and then in the and then in the new book um Tula goes to America for an education and then she comes back to help with a hmm. revolution more um how how has education informed your writing and improved your own life and? Um, how do you see that affecting your characters in the books?
1: Well, I grew up in a world where education was not a given, especially the education of young girls. Um, I, I know many young women my age who did not even have had the education I have because of they just did not have the opportunities I had. So I am very aware of that. I'm very aware of what a difference it made that I that I I came to America and I got an education here, but also that I was I got a good education in Cameroon. I didn't I started my education going to small you know schools I first you know one small school in the village in which my mother lived and then another um, school in another town. but those were all really really instrumental in shaping my mind and allowing me to allow me to build upon when I came to america and so I am very aware of um, of what a difference education makes, and when I looked at the people who inspired the character of Tula, when I look at the, the Dr. King's and the Mandela's and the Gandhis, they were all very well educated, you know, Dr. King had a PhD, Mandela was a lawyer, Gandhi was a lawyer, Obama is a lawyer, and that makes me think, wow, these guys, a lot of them are lawyers, uh, but it is, it is, they were able to become these, this, this Celebrated revolutionaries because we're educated on the ways of the world and how to fight against it. And that is why it was important that Tula also, she knew that she also needed to get an education.
0: Um, and and bo- bo- both of your books kind of have a kind of tackle America <laughs> in, 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 a way. <laughs> um, in the Behold Dreamers. It's more like the American dream and how these mm-hmm. um, immigrants see that it's see the highs and the lows of that and wh- how it mm-hmm. works and how it doesn't work. And then, same with the uh, the, old, the, the other couple, the uh, i'm blanking on their names now the is, yes <laughs> yes yeah and, and how the american dream kind of falls apart for mm-hmm. them as well um and then in the new book it's a multinational corporation but i always I thought, thought in my head it's an american corporation right <laughs> um, it is an american kind of re- corporation <laughs> yes and they're wreaking <laughs> havoc kind of around the world right. in right. a way that's like colonialism basically right. The, right. The corporations are a new colonizer right right <laughs> um, how has your view of America changed over the course of your life? Like how did you think of it before you moved here and how has it changed since you've been living here?
1: Yeah, well, so in, in both of those novels, um, like the Jungas and also Tula, right? Because they both before they came to America, they had a very romantic idea of America. I mean, even Tula in Behold the Dreamers, uh, she 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 really Believed based on what she's seen that, you know, when she goes to America, she will see a very, very just society. She'll see a, a world, a, a country in which every human is treated with the same level of dignity and respect. And she comes to America and even she, even, she doesn't exactly see that, right? Because we see her in America. She's very involved in different protests. She's, she realizes that the same power dynamics that are at play in in her country uh, at play in America because power is power and power abuse is power abuse no matter where where it is. Um, so there is that um, that element of the America you imagine and the America you saw um, in both of the books, and and I I think that for Tula, you know, even though she she was not so much disappointed by what she said in America. I think she has still had a great deal of appreciation for what, um, for what American democracy can do and what has done. Um, and I share that, that, that same uh, appreciation for American democracy. I grew up in a dictatorship my, my, all my life from when I was a child to now my country has had the same precedent We 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 have elections, but they don't mean anything because every election the same guy wins, and he's in power for almost forty years now. So so I am as much, and I am an American citizen now, and I get to vote in America, and I and I've seen democracy. Even though the first election I voted in was twenty sixteen, and that was um, maybe not the best first election of (laughs) twenty
0: (laughs) sixteen. Maybe not the best first election for you.
1: Because I was like, oh, maybe I don't know what I think of all this anymore. <laughs> but, um, but, but it is, I, I I do share her, I do share her appreciation for what this country is capable of and has done as far as allowing maybe not everybody to have a voice. There are more people to have a voice than, than what Tula and I were used to. Again, like I said, I grew up in a place where we didn't have freedom of speech. I mean, when I came to America, I saw the freedom of speech that was given to people in this country. I was in awe. It never even occurred to me that people could just you know stand up and rail against the president on social media or, or national television or radio. Like in my country, you'll be heading to prison in two seconds. So I, um, as much as, uh, and it's the same thing with, with, with in Behold the Dreamers that I, I the characters have this they they they, they see how um, how what a beautiful country America is and they also see its flaws and and I think that it's it's the same thing like the human characters America is like a person to me it is beautiful and it is flawed just like Tula is beautiful and flawed she's strong and courageous but she makes her own mistakes so um, there's no. They, they, there's no way to try to camouflage, you know, the not so pretty parts. It's important to me that I portray the country as it is, you know, just the way I portray the characters as they are.
0: Um, you're very good at getting um, the reader emotionally involved <laughs> with mm-hmm. the story. I and mean, there's a couple of times, obviously, that you tear up a little bit. And I read that you actually even cried. <laughs> in, um, the, the new oh
1: book. no, the crying writer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I, you know, I personally, when I'm writing, that kind of can can help me work through emotions and Sorry. issues. D- does that, d- is that is that is that is that a thing for you as well? Is there some catharsis in writing yes. through your feelings?
1: Right. Well, I, I should stand over saying that I am those one of the people that like art makes me cry. Period. You know, I I listen to a beautiful song and I choke up. I listen, I watch a great movie and I choke up. I see a beautiful you know artwork and I choke up. So I am. I mean, I am an artist because. Art is almost a religion to me. So, anything that is beautiful makes me choke up. Now, for this, my own book, I think the the the, the it was more like you said. It was a catharsis. It was um, because writing this novel and my writing in general is is is, is comes from the place of questions. This book is full of questions. How do you fight against? such powerful forces. Is it really worth it to sacrifice your family and your friends and people you love? Is, there's so much going on um, that the, the character doesn't exactly know they don't have answers. And, and then we start thinking about the bigger questions. Why is the world like this? Why do the powerful do this? Or how can we all feel powerful? Or how can we change the system? There's just, life is full of questions. And I think that when I write, Maybe part of it is just being humbled by the fact that I don't have answers right and, and maybe I'll never have answers. One of my favorite um, um, spirituals this is this is spiritual it's a wonderful song sung in African American churches which talks about someday we will understand it better and you know and I love that song, and I think that that is that is some part of what I feel when I write is that i don't I cannot make sense of. The world completely. I, I struggle to make sense of the world, but I'm going to just write a story that, you know, that lays down my questions, and maybe together as a human race, through art, we can figure out some answers.
0: Yeah, I found especially in I mean in the new one as well, but in the, your first book that it's kind of. Jinda, in particular, kind of—he's always asking questions and having, and he, kind of tenuously on the edge of, "Am I going to get deported?" Right. <laughs> um, and, then, and then everybody starts kind of see, keeping secrets from each other, and right. it's always kind of nobody's sure what to do. <laughs> no right,
1: to yeah, and even even in this one, I mean, the the, the like, the, there's a character of Tula's grandmother who's asking yeah. questions about the meaning of life, yeah. like, why do we fight when you know the moment we get what we want, we're going to want something else, and. And there's a character of Austin who is a is a is a, is a young journalist, and after all the articles he's written about you know injustice and and seeing that no matter how much he writes again about the injustice in the world, little is changing and he starts asking questions also so it it, it is that 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 i suppose it's a it's a kind of surrender <laughs> like surrendering i surrender to the questions i surrender to the to the fact that um, I might not have the answers, but I am going to just, just get into this work of art and, you know, bear out my heart in this work of art. And I, I, and so it is. It is a release. It is a catharsis. It is liberating for me to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. Um. And all of your characters again, like I said, have such depth. Um. Do, do you find it more difficult to write characters who are more like you or who are like completely opposite from you? Is it really harder <laughs> for you to get, get inside somebody's head who's completely made up or is it harder for you to <laughs> express uh, your own <laughs> feelings?
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, that's a good question. I, I do enjoy the harder characters. I mean, I used I said about my Facebook, I said I could I could have written the character of Nanny Jonga in my sleep, right? Because I know that girl, you know, she's from my town. I hung out with girls like her growing up. She, she lived in the same uh, ne- Harlem neighborhood like me. It was so much easier Now for me to write about, you know, Clark Edwards, a Wall Street executive or his wife, Cindy Edwards, which was a very difficult character. Now that is what pushes you as a writer. That is what made me to be a better writer. And it was the same thing with How Beautiful We Were. I I had to write about people making choices that I just cannot understand that I had to push myself to get there. And one of that is the use of violence in trying to get what you want this is a novel that explores the use of violence in, in fighting against injustice. And for me to write about people who acquire guns and feel so strong and powerful, like, wow, I have this gun, and I'm, with this gun I'm going to make the world bend to my will, it was very difficult because I do not believe in violence, but I had to really push myself to go there. And, and it was painful and uncomfortable. but. but it, but I went through it, and I think that I had to do all of that, for, you know, for the, for the serv- in service of the story.
0: Yeah, and there and there's always that undercurrent of power <laughs> throughout the books. Yeah. Like a gun kind of gives you a certain amount of power, and the right. um, power corrupts because, like, the right. leader obviously is working with the corporation, and right. His right. land's not getting poisoned, probably.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, and the history of the world is a story of power, right? <laughs> who has the power? How do they use the power? How do they get rid of get rid of other people's power? How do they accumulate so much power that there's no power left for anybody else? I mean, this is a story about people who also realize in the beginning of the book that maybe we're not so powerless, maybe we can fight, maybe we can use strategies that they could never have imagined we would use. So I like to say that this is not a David versus Goliath story. It's a Goliath versus Goliath story because the the, the villagers realize how powerful they are. And the reason why this battle lasts for 40 years is because it wasn't a, oh, we're going to like, one side kills the other one really easy. No, this is going to be a long, ugly, nasty battle on both sides.
0: Yeah, and it's nice because the villagers, their power comes from each other, from working together, not from um, keeping other people down.
1: That's right. (laughs) Very true.
0: Um, so to kind of wrap up, I did notice on the advanced copy of the, "How Beautiful We Were," it has a little thing on the front that says "On Sale Six Sixteen Twenty 20 Obviously, I mean, that was delayed, probably due to COVID nineteen. That's right. <laughs> um, what is it like? So you went, you went, you went to this big book tour and stuff for the first one, and you got to be on Oprah and all these things. Right. What is it like launching a book in the middle of a pandemic? <laughs>
1: I'm not going getting on any planes. That's for sure. <laughs> um, it has been different, but like anything else, this has its positive right? I am, um, I, I am grateful for a chance to be doing what I'm doing from the comfort of my home. At the same time, I so terribly miss audiences. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's nothing, you know, quite like standing in front of people who. You know, you you talk about the story, you talk about the ideas and the characters, and you share it. It's such a privilege and a blessing, and something that I've never taken for granted. And so I um, I I I I I hope and believe that these, we are the tail end of this whole pandemic drama, and that you know, in not too long from now, we will all be able to sit together in one space and and talk about 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 books and ideas and story, and just celebrate art and celebrate humanity in general. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely, um, t- thought my book would have been way out in June. I mean, it, 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 there, was, there was, there was, no way that anybody saw this coming. So, uh, well, maybe some people did. But I was not one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, but I, 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 I am very much. Um, it's a very different experience. It is, it's it's very different. I don't even to say it I was like, wait, I have a book out and I'm just sitting here, you know, but I'm very busy. I'm doing a lot of interviews and I have a lot of events coming up, but it's all from my house. So um it I am also because you know my book is is it's has to do with globalization. You know, it's about a the, how small the world is that this one corporation comes to this village and does so much what it does and that village can fight back and there are tools of globalization in there. And COVID is also an issue that is linked to globalization. The the fact that you know something started in, in the city in China and then it's you know, it shut down the whole world. So there the, are the parallels and and it's just really interesting to see how everything in life is so tied up like I write a story about an African village fighting an American oil company and then it's going to come out at a time when you know, the whole world is shut down from 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 COVID and this is trying to reopen now and and how the issue of globalization is just here and we have to live with it and be with it and for, for better or for worse.
0: Yeah. Well, um. In both, thank thank you so much for coming on the show um, to talk about your book. Um, that's called How Beautiful We Were, and um, I, from I hope everybody goes out and gets a copy of that, either from your library or or, or buy it. <laughs> um, it, it's a great book, and um, thank you so much for coming on to talk. Thank
1: about Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.
0: Circulating Ideas is produced in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place of work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice, and help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at Circa Ideas or like the show's Facebook page. Theme music is by Pamela Clicka and the logo is by Shandy Fry. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas. Thanks again to Syndetics Unbound from ProQuest and LibraryThing for sponsoring today's episode. Visit them on the web at syndetics.com.